Thank you for listening to the Coal Mind Podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas, and it's August 23, 2020. This week, Massachusetts health authorities announced that flu vaccines will now be compulsory for students in that state's public schools. Today, I'm going to explore what the Constitution has to say about that kind of compulsory vaccination requirement, which is a very timely topic as every state, along with Massachusetts, still continues to struggle with the COVID-19 pandemic. Cambridge, Massachusetts, 1902. The City Board of Health is confronting an increase in smallpox cases, and the city resolves to pass a law requiring smallpox vaccines for everybody living within the city with a small potential carve-out for children whose physicians think the vaccine is not in their interest. Picture turns to Henning Jacobson, a local minister. He had immigrated to the U.S. from Sweden some years earlier, and in his youth in Sweden, he had had a bad experience with a smallpox vaccine. Uh, He did not believe that it was a good thing to do again or to have his children do. He was prosecuted by the Cambridge authorities. He was fined something like $50, and he then appealed his case through the Massachusetts system all the way to the United States Supreme Court, who took the case because it raised a fundamental question about the power of a state government. 1905, Jacobson versus Massachusetts. The opinion is released. It is a 7-2 to opinion in favor of Massachusetts. The opinion is written by Justice John Harlan, who is a titan of the Supreme Court bench. He was appointed in the 1870s by President Hayes, and he is, in 1905, coming towards the last few years of his 34-year career on the U.S. Supreme Court. He analyzed the question in three steps. First, he identified what is called the police power. He theoretically grounded it in the power, as he put it, that the state did not surrender when becoming a member of the Union under the Constitution. He noted that the court had referred to it in several opinions, had not uh, given it firm definition, but had always tended to refer to it in the context, and again his words, the authority of a state to enact quarantine laws and health laws of every description. He referred to another case from the Supreme Court that gave it a little more detail, uh, referring to the use of police power to pass sanitary laws, laws for the protection of life, liberty, health, or property within its limits, laws to prevent persons and animals suffering under contagious or infectious diseases or convicts from coming within its borders. You get the idea. A state, by its nature, has a power to police, not in the sense of a police department, in the sense of maintaining order over basic principles of how the economy works, how society is organized, and how public health is maintained. Justice Harlan did not mention the Tenth Amendment in the Bill of Rights, in his opinion, but this is a Tenth Amendment type of concept, that authority that the states did not give to the federal government at the time of enacting the Constitution. Those rights were retained, and this is that kind of idea. His first step, then, was to identify and discuss, define, to the extent it can be defined, the state police power, which Massachusetts has as a state. Second, he turns to limits on the power. In 1905, that's 115 years ago, the Supreme Court did not have the detailed tests that it has today in many different areas of uh, dispute that come up under our Constitution. He was speaking in much more general language, but he turned, in his analysis, he turned and focused on essentially three ideas. He looked at the board, uh, the health board in Cambridge, and its authority and the authority of the Cambridge civic uh, leadership, and concluded that they had acted basically properly 
They'd been enacted according to the board had been put together according to law. The board had conducted itself in a lawful and appropriate manner, and so there was nothing procedurally untoward about this. The issue of, a, of smallpox is a very serious disease. It had been recognized as such for many, many years, and vaccination was by this time a well-established technology. There was some dispute as to whether or not it would produce a lasting immunity. There were some other questions uh, about it, but the court said that kind of issue is something not really for the courts. It is for things like the Cambridge Health Department, the uh, operation of the political branches of government to sort through and figure out. And finally, in reviewing uh, the limits on the police power, it noticed that what Cambridge did in having a carve-out for children where there could be a medical issue showed the kind of uh, thought that you would expect someone to have given to an issue like this uh, when it's important and affects public health. They looked at potential exceptions, and then they reached the, then Justice Harlan reached the third step of his overall analysis. After first identifying the police power, second discussing limits on it and some of the contours of that, he concluded pretty straightforwardly that Pastor Jacobson was not within one of those limits. That yes, there was a carve out about health for children, but some, just as that is in the discretion of the Cambridge Health Authorities to do, it is in the discretion of the Cambridge Health Authorities to not do, and the conviction would be affirmed. Some later cases of the Supreme Court uh, applied this in some other contexts. Jacobson has not been litigated very much. The issue of compulsory vaccination just doesn't come up that much, but it has come roaring back in the law reports in the last year with the COVID-19 pandemic. And Jacobson made an appearance in the federal reporters uh, earlier this year. The specific context here in the state of Texas, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, was addressing Texas regulations that halted abortions because Texas authorities had included abortion in its ban on non-essential medical services and surgeries. That was a relatively uh, common thing to see state regulators doing uh, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the fear that it would overwhelm uh, hospitals in the early weeks and months of the pandemic response. The Fifth Circuit uh, looked to Jacobson, said it has been on the book since 1905. It has never been overturned. The few times it's been mentioned, it's been mentioned positively. This case is the law, and it gives the government authority in emergency situations to make this kind of decision about what health procedures are and are not going to be done during these difficult times. And so it relying on other cases as well, but primarily on Jacobson, it affirmed Texas's authority to make this kind of decision in prioritization of health care in response to the COVID pandemic. The question moving away from that recent Fifth Circuit case is how viable does Jacobson continue to be across the country in other state courts and other settings? Returning to Jacobson itself, an analogy that occurred to me in thinking about that case is a little bit of that of an old house. A uh, beautiful old house built around the turn of the last century. A lot of, lots of Victorian features to it. Very pretty, nice to look at. But around it, the city has grown up. Modern buildings have been built. Modern streets have been put in. And the question after a hundred and something years is, do we continue to keep the house here? Or has it just been sort of overwhelmed by the developments in the city and society and the economy around it? That's the question that courts will have to be addressing. And there are a couple of factors that uh, will probably be considered. One is the issue of religious freedom. Uh, religious freedom rights have received a great deal of attention in the federal courts recently. In the last Supreme Court term, there was a major opinion about whether or not an employer had religious objections to the requirements of the Affordable Care Act and contraception coverage could act on those objections. And the Supreme Court said, yes, they could. They could opt out of that provision of the Affordable Care Act. 
Um, there is a line of authority, a second line of authority, that where, where questions can come up about process and the power of administrative agencies like the Cambridge Health Board. And in the time of that opinion, uh, the Supreme Court was content to make kind of a general review of how the board had come together, apply some general principles about government, and move on from there. But with the rise of administrative authority after the New Deal and the number of administrative agencies we have and the highly detailed procedures we have about them, at both at the state and the federal level, the process used by an agency to reach a decision about compulsory vaccination will receive a good bit more scrutiny than it would have back in 1905. And a third line of authority, and a third, which leads to a third set of questions that are likely to be asked, comes from counterpoint to the religious freedom cases, the cases about personal autonomy. The leading example, Roe versus Wade, recognizing that the Constitution does not allow a criminal prohibition on abortion. The Fifth Circuit's recent opinion about in this, in this area noted that Roe versus Wade, in its discussion of how the Supreme Court has balanced personal uh, body liberty, body autonomy and state interest, Roe cited Jacobson as an example of how the Supreme Court has balanced personal freedom about one's body with state interests. And so it will be an interesting question as to how the Roe line of cases about personal autonomy, the right of your of yourself to control your body, uh, interacts with Jacobson and being brought forward into the present time and the request of government that someone uh, surrender some of that autonomy and be subjected to some sort of compulsory vaccination in response to COVID. So do those questions have firm answers? Not really. Is Jacobson still a strong precedent that is generally accepted? Yes. But those are some of the questions that will have to be uh, examined as we look at Jacobson's continuing viability brought forward from 1905 into our time in light of some of the areas that have developed both in substantive law and procedural law in our country in the hundred plus years since then. Today on Coal Mind, we looked at compulsory vaccination laws. It's a question posed just a few days ago in the state of Massachusetts, and it seems, at first blush at least, to have an answer from 115 years ago, also from the state of Massachusetts. We looked at whether Jacobson versus Massachusetts continues to have force as law today, and we considered some of the ideas developed over the last century about both substantive law of individual liberty and about procedure and process in our government's operation, some of these new ideas that may draw into question Jacobson or may reinforce its uh, reasoning and, and help modernize it for its application in the current situation we find ourselves. As school districts start up, we all have to, to uh, deal with the ongoing challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. You can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the other main directories. I want to thank my friend Sean Rabb of KDFW-TV in Dallas, Fox 4, for suggesting this idea for a podcast episode. I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again soon.